Katie from Yeah No Yeah. But you already knew that because you're about to listen to our show. But I wanted to pop in here to invite you to a super secret slumber party hosted on Patreon. For just $4 a month, you can get access to a bonus episode, Molly's notes, and other fun things. I don't actually know if we're offering anything else. I just wanted to say that. Bye. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. 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 No. What do yeah. We, I, I don't, I've never, I, you, no. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, that really oh, hey. kind of grosses me out. That was so organic. Thank you. Hi, I'm Molly, and I'm here for a long time, not a good time. Hi, I'm Katie, and when little Wayne rapped, I'd rather be pushing flowers than be in the pen sharing showers. He was reading a direct quote from a letter he had written to me while I was in prison. Oh, Katie, that's beautiful. (laughs) Love him. Um, Yeah, so we are talking today about the women who love men who are behind bars. And they're not just, these aren't just, you know, their boyfriends who went away because they, you know, robbed a grocery. Who, what did people rob? A bank. Um, (laughs) Or groceries. uh, It's men who are notorious for having committed horrible, brutal, violent attacks, specifically against women. It's this thing where it's like, it's so hard to get inside the minds of people who um, want men who, under different circumstances, would definitely have cut their throats and left them for dead. Yes. This is going to be a really gross episode. And so we're going to give a little trigger warning up here at the top. Uh, we're going to talk about really brutal, horrible people. So if that's not what you're in the mood for, l- listen, away. listen away. Turn your ears to <laughs> whale sounds or the soothing noise of your choice. So, uh, Katie, this has a technical term I discovered. It's called mm-hmm. bristophilia, which means being sexually aroused by someone else's crimes. This Oof. is also termed Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Because, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, they were the outlaws in the 1930s. Right. Pachoo, pachoo, can't, can't catch us, copper. Uh, and then they were, like, posing with cigars, like, aren't we fun? And then they were um, gunned down by police. And rightly so. They had killed a lot of police officers during their crime spree. Um, so uh, I wanted to read this clip from a book I found called Lessons in M- uh, Mythology, A Comparative Approach. Um, uh, the, according to sex therapist, Dr. Ian Kerner, hybristophilia is a fetish in which sexual attainment of orgasm are contingent upon being with a partner known to have committed an outrageous crime, such as armed robbery, rape, or murder, especially if the person is attractive and well-known. That whole time, mm. I really burp. I have one of those burps that's like deep in my throat. Are you ready to do it? Uh, no, I somehow just mind over mattered my way through. Um, so uh, that is the, I, I'm going to get into this more as we go on, but um, I think that that's really unfair to Bonnie that she was just aroused by the thought mm-hmm. of committing crimes. I think that she was a, a, a psycho in her own right. And I feel like sure. that gets overlooked and undermined. Wait, was part of the definition the person was a, had to be attractive? 
Um, according to Dr. Ian Kerner, I uh, don't know if that is part of, I didn't read that in the definition uh, anywhere else, but yeah. So, uh, so both Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy, this is still from uh, Lessons in Mythology, convicted serial killers who raped and murdered dozens of young people were in committed relationships before they were executed. Relationships that did not begin until after they had gone to prison. <laughs> so this is specifically like a woman, typically what we'll see in the examples we're going to go over, a woman will see him in the news and say, oh, I must write to him. He needs to hear from me. Um, and then uh, and then through that correspondence, they uh, they strike up, uh, the, you know, the sparks fly. And then um, they, uh, they send the money in some cases, which I think is uh, pretty typical of these kinds of psychopaths is that they, it, it becomes clear that they have some other end that they're using their prison wife for. Sure. I mean, not their prison wife. Prison wife is a different thing. <laughs> They're using their lady, <laughs> their lady on the outside for yeah. like really obviously right from the prisoner from the imprisoned serial killer's point of view. Obviously, it makes sense. It's like you want someone who can right. send you your favorite gumdrops or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about why it is that these women are the way that they are. But before we get into the theories and my ideas around the subject. Uh, I wanted to talk about some of the biggest examples of this phenomenon. So Ted Bundy. Yes. You and I were both very sick of hearing about Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. We like nearly refused to talk about him on our show. Yeah, I I definitely did. Uh, He was in that movie or he there was a movie based on his life called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile uh, that starred Zac Afron as as him. Um, and Zac Efron, uh, the casting choice was specifically because Zac Efron is considered kind of a dreamboat and so mm-hmm. was Ted Bundy, which I'll never understand. No, no, he wasn't even like hot on in seven because I've, I've talked about this with some of my girlfriends and they're like, yeah, he was hot for the 70s. I'm like, no, no, no. 70s men no. were hot, very hot. There's a lot hotter 70s men. He had a, a thick, lustrous head of hair, and that's all. I'll get. That is, so did everybody in the 70s. Yeah, name one person that didn't have beautiful hair in the 70s. Yeah. You can't. Uh, he has beady little eyes that I've oh. always felt were very close together. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's just not hot. He's not hot. Okay, he's not hot. You heard it. Hot or not, not. Gavel, he's gavel, cold. not. So, okay, but a lot of people disagree, whatever. Um, and there was a lot of talk when that movie came out around the female fandom in particular and how it is that, uh, and I saw an interview, I wish I could remember who it was who said this. The interview was on CNN with uh, an uh, with a with a expert, I guess, on Ted Bundy who was talking about what a disappointment it was to the feminist of the time that he <laughs> became such a sex symbol. Because it's like, um, obviously women are all deranged and yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be allowed to make decisions because this is what they come up with. Um, something so, grandma has said about him and just about like men that kind of like aren't really that hot that I guess have a lot of uh, fandom around them is charm goes a long way. Okay, and I will agree. Having read now a lot of his correspondence, I totally get the charm thing. Yeah. So we have to talk about him because as far as I can tell, 
maybe I'm sure he wasn't the first uh, notorious, infamous man mm-hmm. to receive fan letter from fan letters from women. But from what I can tell, he sort of was is a touchstone of the phenomenon. He's one of the biggest first examples mm-hmm. of it. So just to give you a refresher on what it is that he was in prison for, he raped and murdered over two dozen women. Uh, I've Ooh. seen that he confessed shortly before his execution to 30 murders between 1974 and 1978, but that number is in dispute. But it's around that number. It's a lot. It's just it's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> Uh, in interviews, though, he does come across as being very clean cut and articulate. Yeah. That I think is undeniable. His letters are the same way. <laughs> They're in this really, like, if you've seen any uh, letters from people in the 70s, it's not like serial killer handwriting where it's kind of blocky and all capital. It's swoopy, cursive, mm. grandma handwriting. And he writes... <laughs> <laughs> he writes to some, he had a lot of, he was writing a ton of letters. At one point, he was receiving an average of 200 love letters a day. From oh, him. my God. But he kept up a correspondence with a variety of people. Uh, one letter I read from a friend where they, he was just talking to his friend about some business move they had made. He said, I often wonder how the worsening <laughs> economic climate affects the wine and cheese store business. <laughs> I mean... So he, he hasn't ain't got shit else to do in prison, but wonder that. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't got shit else to do, but wonder about wine and cheese. <laughs> but um, he uh, he was unable to, um, or he uh, his letters though, you know, obviously some of them were of a romantic variety. Uh, he really didn't have anything to do except write letters, and so some of them are. You know, you could have a sort of, sort of prurient fascination with them, but a lot of them are just so dull. And that's sort of what's so interesting uh, with them. This also ties into the first episode we did in this season, which seems like a lifetime ago. But we did an episode on murderbilia. And this letter yes. I read about wine and cheese is for sale on one of those murderbilia <laughs> auction sites for like $4,500. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Someone okay. will buy so, that. Yeah. Um, from time in 2001, uh, they described him as pleasantly handsome, piercingly intelligent. He was a master manipulator, a silver tongue charmer who lured women to their deaths, confounded police pursuers, and clogged the court system for nearly a decade. The thing about uh, luring women to their deaths, one of his ploys that he would use is he would pretend to have a broken arm to get someone to come and help him. And when they got close enough, uh, yeah. uh, it was too late. So tons of women sent him letters along with pictures, including nudes. During the trial, the court was packed with his adoring fans. A lot of people have observed that many of Bundy's victims had a a superficial uh, trait in common, which is that they all had long, dark hair parted in the middle. Hmm. And it's largely believed that this was inspired by his college girlfriend, uh, Diane Edwards, who dumped him. Um, or who dumped him way back when and that's supposed to and again I don't know how much of this is known or speculated or he confirmed this but it's the idea is that that is what really set him off and made him have this long hair uh, parted in the middle was also just like a look of the time sorry to say right well but it was such a well-known fact that that was something that his victims had in common I've heard 
that in the uh, in the city where he was uh, committed, I guess in, I think I believe in Colorado, mm-hmm. when all these poet when all these women were disappearing, um, women were showing up in hair salons at hair salons to get their hair cut and died. That's the so same was- with um, Son of Sam, right? Don't quote me. No one quote me. But I think in New York at some point, women were also like chopping their hair because he was looking for a certain type of gal. A certain type of gal. So uh, so once in prison in Colorado, Bundy had struck up a relationship with a woman named Carol Ann Boone, mm. who he had known from an office job where they weren't previously romantically involved. Once he was in prison in Colorado, she became a big deal to him. Uh, he so she started sending him money mm. and that money that she sent him according to him is what he had saved up that facilitated his escape from Colorado so he escaped Colorado right. and hit the road and went to Florida where he went on a rampage through the Chai Omega sorority house at Florida State University Jesus. he attacked a bunch of women there and murdered two so after he's, so then he's captured again, uh, it moved to, she moved to Florida to be there for his trial. Carol. Um, she did not believe that he was guilty. She thought the evidence <laughs> against him was baloney, which was a commonly held belief at the sure. time. So a lot of people, so I have, oh God, I found this quote for, uh, on Oxygen. According to Oxygen, one woman outside of the Florida courthouse said he didn't, quote, look like the type to kill somebody. Oh, people really do feel that way. Well, and I think that that's a very normal human thing that we all really rely heavily on our ability to evaluate people. Yeah. And so I think that I understand the temptation to say, well um to say yeah he just he just doesn't strike me you you, I was gonna say you have used that line before I won't say in what context on the show but you okay I'll keep it between I'm just saying I know that that it makes sense to me to go off of looks as far as safety goes we all do it we all do it um but and I mean psychopaths throw a wrench in that plan (laughs) I do say I will say I know that I have said before judge a book by its cover and I stand by that yeah I think that you generally can and go by your instincts but it's just there are you know keep in the back of your mind there are Ted Bundy's who will who keep life interesting you know they keep you on your toes they're the spice of life uh, serial killer the spice of life so Caroline Boone got pregnant on a visit Mm. to see Ted Bundy on death row and everyone's like, how'd that happen? But Anne Rule, the ca- the crime writer who got her start because she knew Ted Bundy because they were friends at some um, call center where they both worked. Uh, she said that it was common practice back then and a known fact that inmates could bribe guards for to have a little time and space for conjugal visits. So she uh, had his baby. Wow. Um, uh, so... Uh, she gave birth to Bundy's only known child in 1981. Uh, I believe in 1984 is when uh, t- is when Ted Bundy started confessing to his crimes. Um, also, oh, I forgot to mention this. They got married um, according to this obscure Florida rule where she was in his courtroom uh-huh. for his trial. And he proposed to her in front of a judge. And uh, she said, okay, yeah, I'll marry you. She like shouted it from the court pews. And then Ted said, we are now legally married, which apparently you can do in Florida. You can announce that you're married. 
that's in Texas yeah. too. In front of a judge. Yeah. You can just say you're married. You're married. So, okay. So he starts confessing. Um, oh, so in the office when Michael Scott shouts, I declare bankruptcy. And then all of a sudden, you declare <laughs> bankruptcy. Sorry, just a little office humor. I know you love the yeah. office. I know you don't love the office. I've seen one episode. It was that. Okay. Seems like you enjoyed it. Maybe you should give it a chance. Uh, so, so he starts confessing, uh, what he start he struck a deal known as bones for time, meaning that he would be shown leniency if he told, started telling where the bodies were. That didn't really work out. Um, they executed him, but, uh, so when he started confessing, um, d- uh, Carol Boone was like, I'm sorry, what, um, what, what, <laughs> wait, what? And of course, I don't. I haven't seen anything to suggest that she was lying about that. It seems like she genuinely, genuinely was taken aback that he was in fact a murderer. Uh, so Diana, <laughs> she was also apparently mad about another woman who was rumored to be his love interest, Diana Weiner, who's one of his attorneys. Oh God. Uh, Weiner, Weiner was his a Weiner. Sorry. No. Weiner, Weiner. Was his, it's Weiner. He's a. Big wiener. She was a wiener fed. <laughs> Put that on. So um, she was his lawyer during his confession phase. Uh, and she said, Ted Bundy is morally compelled as he faces death to do the right thing. He had been sentenced to death at that point. And it was the hope was that through these confess- confessions, he would um, manage to not have the death sentence imposed, which didn't happen. And Diana Weiner, I was not able to independently confirm this, but apparently she also had long dark hair parted down. But that's just a rumor. We don't. Um, I love this little anecdote that I found in Listverse. So he's getting tons of letters. One of them was from a woman named Janet, and she actually managed to creep out Ted Bundy. Uh, He responded to one of her letters (laughs) saying, uh, she responded to one of his letters saying, I got the letter, letter you sent me and read it again, she wrote him. I kissed it all over and held it to me. I don't mind telling you I am crying. I just don't see how I can stand it anymore. I love you so very much, Ted. He wrote a letter to his then wife, Carol, telling her to stop letting Janet sit near her so that he wouldn't have to look at her, wouldn't have to look at Janet. There she sits <laughs> contemplating me with her mad eyes oh like a deranged seagull studying a clam, Bundy wrote. I can feel her spreading hot sauce on me already. <laughs> Janet, you're doing the Lord. Yeah, work. honestly, Janet's our girl. <laughs> Janet's the only one who managed to make him feel a fraction of what Good. he made other people feel. And for that, I applaud. Same. Her. So, okay, so, but, okay, so after he confessed, Carol Boone, really mad about that, really mad about him maybe flirting with his lawyer. Uh, So she took her kid and uh, never talked to him again. He called her uh, the day he was executed and she would not pick up. There you go. So Caroline Boone is not really an example of what we're talking about because she seemed to really believe he wasn't. Right. Janet, however, is. (laughs) Janet... (laughs) Janet with her hot sauce is what we're talking about today. So one of the, this also came to my attention, this whole phenomenon a while back when we did an episode on multi-level marketing, specifically as they relate Mm -hmm. to the Chris Watts, Shanann Watts murders. 
uh, Chris Watts back in August of 2019. Chris Watts' wife, Shanann Watts, uh, went missing. She's reported missing by a friend when she didn't show up to a business meeting. She and her friend were both involved in uh, Level, which is a multi-level marketing company that sells a diet weight loss suite of products called Thrive. Um, there's this you can watch the his conf everything about that case is on YouTube. Like from yeah. him uh, saying, "Oh, I want my kids back," to him confessing, it's all on YouTube. So even with this huge amount of information that's available, and the fact that he confessed to murdering not only Shanann but his two daughters, also she was something like four yeah. months pregnant with their third kid, which he knew. Um, <laughs> in spite of that, he still gets a yeah of mail um uh from his fans you were telling me about all the facebook groups yeah there's like a ton of facebook groups and <laughs> i was you know because i don't like to really look at this stuff on my personal phone uh but i did see right. some blurbs of quotes of you know what girls talk about women talk about in there and for some reason this one quote really shook me um it was in one of the Facebook fan groups and it said, can't wait until he's out and can chat with us. Chat with you. Where do you think he's going? He's going to be there for ma'am a very long time. But it, when you look at it, no one seems to think no one talks about in the, his innocence from what I've looked at. Everyone seems to know he's bad. And they're just talking about how hot he is. I think I can explain that. Um, so, okay. So I wanted to talk about this letter that was published in the Washington Post where a woman wrote to him saying, a Brooklyn-based woman wrote to him. Molly, are you confessing? I have a few, <laughs> I have a few suspects. Uh, greetings from New York, Chris. I found myself thinking a lot about you. I figured life is too short to hold back. So here I am. She included a bikini-clad photo hmm. of herself on a beach. And she said of the picture, so you can place a face to the words. I know what you look like, so I thought I'd make it fair. I hope I've put a smile on your face. Delightful. Delightful. Uh, another letter that I thought was really uh, significant and I think shed some light on what you were talking about. Dear Chris, hello to you. I wanted to write uh, to tell you that our church is praying for you. I do not know if this letter will ever make it to you, but I wanted to give it a try. I am an advocate against Thrive and all that it stands for. I believe that anything we put in our body that changes the way we feel and think is against what God wants for us. I noticed in all your pictures that you were wearing the Thrive patch, and I am almost certain that it's the reason why they went the way they did, meaning how his whole family was murdered by him. Everyone that takes the drug handles it differently, or so I have been told. Do you think this had anything to do with what happened? I would like to make the public aware of the dangers of this product and what could happen. So we talked about this a little bit way back when in our episode where we talked, uh, where we discussed this case, but uh, a lot of people think that it's Shanann Watts' fault that he murdered uh, his whole family because she drove him right. crazy with her constant marketing of her Thrive product, which if you know anything about multi-level marketing, you have, you have to, to do it. Content. We talk about that a lot in our Shanann episode, how people were sort of bullying her posts post posthumously online yeah um also yeah he um there's also a very common conspiracy theory that i saw a lot of back then 
which is that it's actually so he had a mistress at the time right. which p- investigators police <laughs> think is the actual motive for murdering his whole family that it was just like the a- uh, amping up the pressure that she was expecting him to believe his wife and for whatever reason so this you can look into this um there's a lot out there about narcissism and how narcissism works and this idea that your family can't be an extent can't live outside of you right like if you um like you need to uh discard them and start over and that's how a lot of evil murderous narcissists operate obviously i'm not an expert but um that's a pretty interesting theory in my opinion so nicole kessinger in a lot of these circles is blamed Mm. that it was her idea and she was the evil one manipulating the simple man (laughs) And uh, I will say, I've always thought it was really interesting, the fact that she was Googling wedding dresses right before he murdered his family, and uh, she tried to erase evidence of their correspondence uh, from her phone before she talked to investigators. So I've always thought, like, wow, it it seems like maybe she was more involved, but that's all uh, not proven, and police never uh, believed that or followed that line of inquiry. I mean, at the end of the day, he's the one that did it. So it doesn't really matter who tells you what to do. If you murdered your whole family because your girlfriend told you to, that's a very bad reason to murder. Hey, Molly, go kill your whole family. Are you going to listen to me? Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. (laughs) I've really been, I've been, you're very charming and I'm quite frankly on the edge of all time. (laughs) So, you know, in a way, it's your fault. <laughs> they, they would easily play. Oh. They would look at you, look at me and say, clearly, that dope didn't stand a chance. <laughs> you listen to their podcast. We know who the puppeteer is here. <laughs> mm, and I'll have so many fans in prison. I look forward to it. Um, so, Richard Ramirez. Ugh. This is one where I'm truly, okay. So, Chris, we didn't talk enough about Chris Watts' physical appearance. He is kind of muscly, yeah. like he worked out a lot. Very dead in the eyes. Very soft-spoken. Yeah, very Again, soft-spoken. He has that quality that he had the same quality as Ted Bundy in that, like, it is hard to picture him yeah. murdering people because he seems so passive. He and looks so, so boring. Like yeah, something about him is just so uninteresting. And women yeah, love that. They do. Women love a boring, weird yeah. guy. So if you're listening to this and you're a boring, weird guy. We have a job for you. Uh, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not giving you any advice. <laughs> yeah, we have a tune out. We don't like you here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in 1984, Richard Ramirez started murdering women in, uh, in Southern California and I believe around San Francisco as well. Um, Los Angeles newspapers dubbed him the Night Stalker, mm. which side note. Media outlets should not give serial killers cool names. Agreed. Agreed. So I think that was... Night Stalker could have been such a good band name and they ruined it. True (laughs) enough. Um, Pause for one second. Is there a demonic little doll walking around behind you? Okay, now it stopped. Huh. Interesting. As soon as I drew attention to the demon, it disappeared. I heard like little weird footsteps. I'm so scared. Okay, well, listen. Well, well, maybe it was luck. Oh, no, you heard me. You heard my demon uh, chunky fingers typing. (laughs) 
fucking chunky finger. I, sorry, I wanted to look up Richard Ramirez's face again. Okay, well, please remember that your are chunky you fingers now? sound like possessed little doll feet. Oh, no. God. Maybe I look. Oh, okay. Yeah. My yeah, chunky fingers. Okay, chunky fingers. Okay, so. <laughs> So he's murdering all these, he murdered, uh, he sentenced to death in 1989 on counts of 13 murders, five attempted murders, and 11 sexual assaults. Uh, I mentioned how Chris Watts looks and how Ted Bundy looks. Richard Ramirez is fucking Yeah, he is scary looking. I feel like when people call him handsome, they mean he has Yes, that's all they mean. True. Cheekbones. And hair. Parmesan cheese, no doubt about it. Hair also, he has hair. Um, he has hair like uh, exactly like Ashton Kutcher on the that one hundred percent. It's fine. His Oof. teeth. Oh, I'm looking Oof. at him right now. It's so no. fucking bad. It's so fucking bad. <laughs> but uh, in any case, Doreen Doreen <laughs> Leoy Doreen Leoy sent him seventy five letters over an eleven year period, and they got married in nineteen ninety six. Uh, when their relationship was going by the down, way she's no looker him. either i just want to throw that out there they look like two no. demons together yeah she was uh pretty middle-aged by the time that they she'd lived a, she had had a life it, <laughs> she looks like she lived judging a book by cover <laughs> how she lived um she said in a letter she said in a letter or no sorry she said in an interview He's kind, he's funny, he's charming. I think he's a really great person. He's my best friend. He's my buddy. I was like, does the Night Stalker know you yeah, call I don't think he'd buddy? love that. Yeah. Um, also, just to paint a little bit more of a picture, um, he professed to be a Satanist. He screamed, hail Satan, during one of his trials, and he drew a pentagram uh, in blood in his jail cell, so... Um, yeah he's, uh, <laughs> he's the devil's buddy so I saw an interview <laughs> saw an interview on CNN that uh, she is well aware that many people think she's crazy or naive or stupid or <laughs> lying she added and I'm none of those things I just believe in him completely in my opinion there was far more evidence to convict OJ Simpson and we all know how that turned out mm, I'm not sure oh. if he uh, confessed but I don't know. She seemed to be holding a candle that, like, maybe he didn't do it. Um, when, in fact, as we know from our Murderbelia episode, he was enjoying the yeah. variety that he got from being this serial killer and selling really terrible drawings uh, off the back of that. Um, I really like what a staff writer at the LA Times said about him. Uh, on death row in San Quentin, Richard Ramirez seemed to wear a perpetual sneer walked with a loose-limbed swagger and offered a weak, moist handshake to visitors. He had more than his share of female groupies. And then they talk about how Doreen, Doreen Loy, Leoy, I had a really That's hard okay. time with her stupid fucking name. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was a journalist and she had seen his mugshot on TV and perceived what she called his vulnerability. They were allowed to kiss when she visited which a lot of people object to. Like, why are you allowed to kiss if you're uh, on death row? Um, so he wasn't allowed to. No, I'm just, him. I'm looking at him next to a picture of Bundy. And it's like, unlike Bundy, when you look at Ramirez, you're like, oh, he did it. And he did all sorts of stuff. Like, he just has a look right. of real evil. 
Right. Yeah. He's very uh, upfront about yeah. who he is, which makes Doreen Leoy. Yes, it does. Than, uh, than uh, what's her face? Uh, but Carol Boone. I keep wanting to say Carol. Boone. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carol. Oh, God, yeah. W- weird. We have bad taste in men across the board. I think that's fair to say. Carol, if you're listening, break Dump up him. Dating. <laughs> Feed him <laughs> to tigers. Um, I actually don't believe that. I want to go on record. I don't think that there is enough to suggest that she killed her. Anyway, we're getting distracted. So um, Richard Ramirez wasn't allowed to speak to anyone in 2010 mm. and wouldn't let anyone visit during the last few years of his life. And when he died in 2013, no one came to collect his oh. body. So they evidently, their relationship fell apart at some point, And no one knows where Doreen Leoy is today. And she talks about how, like, her family disowned her. She wanted to have kids. She couldn't because her husband, I'm using quotations around that, was in jail. And it's, it is a thing of, like, wow, this guy is so evil and has such bad teeth. <laughs> And you're giving up so much. She's a real, she's a real mystery, but I couldn't find anything about her outside of this. She seems to have, um, uh, an article in Bustle talks about how she seems to have kept herself mysterious Mm. on purpose. No, that makes sense. I can imagine. Yeah. I also was really fascinated by the fact that John Wayne Gacy and Luca Magnata, uh, who are both gay serial killers or Luca Magnata is uh, just a murderer. Um, but they both had, uh, they both have female fans, which as you said, not <laughs> yeah, said women have been loving men. gay men for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> no so yeah, Luca Magnata, you probably recognize his name from the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With yeah. Cats. He was convicted in 2014 on the murder of the Chinese exchange student uh, named Jun Lin. Uh, he filmed the murder and published it under the title One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. As Don't Fuck With Cats covers more extensively, he also made videos of animal abuse. Um, he was the subject of the blog of an obsessive fangirl named Lexa Mancini, who wrote a blog called All About Luca. Mm. I found her Twitter, but I wasn't able to access her actual blog because you need to request permission to access it, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have time. Um, and she hasn't tweeted since 2014, so hopefully she's <laughs> moved on from this chapter of her life. Um, but she wrote a poem oh, no. about him. No! Going to read <laughs> called Beauty and Evil. Oh. I'm going to, I'll just read the beginning and the end. I won't make you sit through the whole thing. It's kind of long. Your psychopathic stare has captivated me. Your emotionless expression is strangely alluring. You have a strange power over me. The more I think about you, the more I long for me for you. Blah 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 blah. Uh, my physical attraction to uh, <laughs> uh, the, 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 there are so many hot guys out there, and I don't feel for them like I do for you, Luca. The ultimate bad boy is what you are: beauty and evil, all wrapped up in one perfect package. This actually got from the Lessons in Mythology book that I mentioned at the. Hmm. Uh, this poem was written about Luca So, yeah, so this is posted on her blog. And they go on to say, the author of this bo- book goes on to say that um, from what she's written about being captivated by Magnata, it is obvious that she was obsessed with this ultimate bad boy. 
but she was certain, but she was certainly not alone in her obsession. Good girls have been attracted to bad boys. <laughs> oh no! So I want to get in. I want to get into how stupid that is because uh, in the literature around, like, why do women like serial killers? There is this notion that it's like, well, women love bad boys, and it's like, no. I don't know. Like, I think when I think of like a classic bad boy, I think of uh, like uh, the yes, movies, Danny you know? Zuko. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. Pompadour, finger guns, motorcycle, leather like, jacket, and like, please. yeah. I thought that sure. was the whole thing that we like bad boys because they're actually nice inside. That's what I like mm-hmm. because they're damaged, right? So you um like bad boys in the in a, yes. in a true yes. sense of a bad boy that aesthetically dangerous, but behind it all, a little a, a, a pretty boyfriend. nice boyfriend with um. I hope I'm not bringing this up out of turn, but I think this fits here in that Sheila Eisenberg, why women love men who kill in an interview. She wrote a book in an interview. She was like, (laughs) I laughed at this just because like, it is the same bad boy thing. She was like, America's a country founded on the wild West cowboy settling the frontier. That's like what a man is like, that's a bad boy. And it's like, yeah, but like, I feel like that aesthetic is in no way close to like a serial killer level bad. Like she was trying to kind of justify this interest that women might have. Um, but again, I think we're all misunderstanding the bad boy thing. That explanation no makes sense. no sense. And actually oh, makes sorry. me boil because it just, it's so, no, 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 I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, I want to talk about her. I also wanted to mention Catherine Keir. I found this in the Washington Post. Um, a psychiatrist on the faculty at the University of California at San Francisco, she told the Washington Post, it's a way that women talking to serial killers behind bars, it's a way of flirting with danger while risking nothing. The women writing killers are often victims of abuse and gravitate toward aggressors. Getting vol- involved with a man behind bars puts them in positions of control. These women will most likely never have the chance to meet the man they're pursuing. And if they did, they'd be protected by the prison system. So this article from the Washington Post also brings up Sheila Eisenberg. She's sort of the, this book is kind of the thing that people bring up. I don't know. It's one of the more famous books written on the subject. Um, So yeah, Women Who Love Men Who Kill. I didn't read it um, because it's not really a scientific study. It's more just her listing what she knows about um she interviewed yeah she interviewed like a however many women and trying to find like what the commonality was for women who you know out of all the women that like and love and write to these dangerous murderous men um the commonality she found was that they've all had some abuse in their life which is probably not surprising no, that's not at all su- surprising, and that is, I think, actually a yes. valuable observation. Um, LA Times, there was an LA Times review by Constance Casey from 1991, um, where she says uh, of this book, she says, um, "Women who love men who kill." It's a review of that book. Um, Eisenberg observes that the women she spoke to are looking for an ideal love. The fact that the man has killed someone, whether in a fit of passion or a fit of nervousness while robbing a gas station, provides a certain spice. But although Eisenberg asserts that these women are spinning dizzily in a dance with a master of death, (laughs) most of her evidence indicates that the really appealing quality of these men as love object material is that they're behind bars. Yeah. 
I liked that Eisenberg mentions that one of the women she spoke to describes her inmate murderer boyfriend as a quote. Yeah. Good <laughs> Which is very, and I've heard that there's kind of this assumption about women like this, where it's uh, it's a common observation that uh, they're maybe more insecure mm-hmm. and they maybe don't have as much going on in their lives or they've sort of given up romantically. And so that's what's appealing about having a boyfriend behind bars. I understand that from like the having a boyfriend in prison uh, point of view. I don't get that from, and I also understand having an inmate boyfriend from the point of view of like, oh, I want to nurture someone who's lost. Like, I feel like a lot of them are given to thinking that way, but I don't, I think that that all just falls apart when it's someone who's notorious for murdering that many women, when you're dealing with someone who's excessively violent. I don't think that any of those explanations really yeah, there was something else that um, Sheila Eisenberg was saying about like this feeling of need and like regaining of control, like you said. And um, yeah, I agree. I think that makes sense. If you have a broken lover who ends up in prison and you continue on that relationship. But when it's this serial killer against women specifically, yeah, it does. It doesn't hold as much water. It's a little it's off. Yeah. So that brings me to my favorite theory. Uh, While I was researching this subject, I found, um, admittedly, I don't think this was a big study, study, but it's, uh, this research appears in the Journal of Personality uh, in 2018. The title of it is, Do Psychopathic Birds of a Feather Flock Together? Psychopathic Personality Traits and Romantic Preferences. So what this, um, this was a study of female undergraduates and they found that participants with marked personality disorder features were more inclined than others to endorse a preference for psychopathic Hmm. males. Relative attraction to psychopathic males may be avenues through which psychopathic traits persist in the population across time. Where's this thing of like, well, how, I think that that's a really interesting idea. And I think that that does make sense where it's like, why are psychopaths well they're manipulative and they can be charming so that explains a lot of it but you'd think that after a while we would have wised up to this and uh, moved away from thinking that those kinds of people were attractive mates and it makes sense that there's a certain kind of woman who's also a psychopath who might attracted to that and say you know i'm really evil and i have a hard time finding people who are Mm -hmm. evil yes i I actually like that theory So I want to go back to the fact that this is called uh, that hebristophilia, the technical name for this uh, particular philia, uh, is also known as the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Uh, I've read a bit about Bonnie and Clyde and um, this idea, right, it's called Bonnie and Clyde syndrome because the idea is that Bonnie was attracted to the fact that Clyde was a murderous outlaw. So she's turned on by the fact that he's committing crimes. But I really feel like that downplays her involvement. Like she had opportunities to leave him, but like he said, hey, get out of here. I don't want you to get in trouble for you know what I'm doing. And she was like, no, I wanna go on your murder spree with you. Please take me with you. Like that mm-hmm. was very much her intention. And she would write these silly little poems that would get published in newspapers. Um, she wrote one that went, someday they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief, to the law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. 
So even before she and Clyde were gunned down by police, she right. was enjoying this idea that they go down together in a blaze of glory. So this idea that she's just turned on by him, I feel like we as a culture have a problem believing that women are as evil as men are. And I feel like we tend to remove moral agency from women who are killers and women who like mm-hmm. the idea of murder, even if they don't commit it themselves. Um, one of my favorite true crime YouTubers, Stephanie Harlow, recently did a really interesting series on the famous Canadian murders, Carla Hamolka and Paul Bernardo, who are known as the Ken and Barbie killers, um, where he was, uh, they their relationship was very much about her helping him commit the rapes that he wanted to. He was a really prolific ra- rapist. Sure. Is prolific the right word? He's a very active rapist. Um, and she helped him. She lured him, them, yeah. She would lure them in and she would make it oh, this like a fun three-way situation, the three of us. Uh, she even <gasps> drugged her sister so that he could rape because uh, he told her this is Oof. my fantasy, raping your sister. And she gave her sister too much of that and she died. Jesus. She accidentally killed her own, probably accidentally. Right. And so, but she ended up going to the police first and saying, oh, it's him. When Paul Bernardo stopped doing what she wanted him to do, basically. And so there's a lot of speculation that she got off way too easy. I don't think that she spent any time in jail, but anyway, she's out, out and about today, having started a new family. And I think that a lot of times women are able to play this card of, well, I was manipulated or, oh, he made me. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm saying like so it's, as though, it's, uh, <laughs> it's as though it's as though it's fresh. Yeah, I it's funny because when we were talking about this earlier and Molly did say she would pull me into her web of thinking and you have because the more I'm reading this, the more I'm like, Thanks. yeah, it is. I think we all I, I, I like this idea that women are as evil as men because it makes sense, right? Like how are, how could we not be in some way? And that's why I think those shows like snapped are so interesting because people love to see women lose it or it seems like they've snapped, but it's like, I mean, you wouldn't watch a show about men snapping because it happens endlessly and all the time. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this other than I'm in your, I'm in your, uh, I'm in your camp. I think that we, I think that where you're going with this is that we tend to view the crimes that men and women uh, commit through the lens of what we inherently believe about men and women. And we just believe that men are more evil. I don't think that men are more evil. I think that testosterone makes it more likely for you to act out your psychopathic tendencies in a violent way. I don't think that that has anything to do with your moral agency. Um, Ian Bradley, Brady and Meyer Hindley are another great example of this. They committed what are known as the Moors murders in England, where they killed children. And she would lure kids into the car and exploited this assumption that, oh, if it's a couple, it's okay. Maybe if it's just mm-hmm. a man by himself, maybe that's scary. This was back in the late 40s or 50s, so, or maybe 50s. So maybe it was before a time when people had as much of a sense of stranger danger, but it was still that added element of it was easier because yeah. he had his girlfriend helping him lure them. And just in the same way, you can't assume that because someone is charming or soft-spoken that they are not a killer. You can't assume that because someone's a woman, they didn't want to kill people or they yeah. didn't like the idea of murder as much as their boyfriend. 
Okay. You're a doctor okay. to me on this episode. Really? This is true. This is good. <laughs> You're nearly a Dr. Shiloh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I hope she doesn't hear us say that. Jeez. Dr. Shiloh, I didn't say that. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, we have to tell our listeners what just happened. Uh, I'm watching uh, Katie on a Google video and her uh, semi-nude, very dangerous-looking boyfriend. He was coming to kill room. me, but he just against it (laughs) (laughs) tell him i said not to well what do you think you're luring me to watch you instead of watching my own back (laughs) (laughs) rise on me um damn okay so that about what i've also learned from this episode is that women have been writing very bad poetry for a very long time Yeah, you know, men aren't the only ones who are evil. And God, stop writing poetry, poetry all of you. Jesus Christ. If you were in prison for a horrible crime or for any crime, what what kind of mail would you want to receive? Oh, what kind of mail would I want to receive? I was thinking M-A-L-E. I was like, whatever I can get at the time. Um, (laughs) Ooh, yeah. (laughs) yeah. I was. Yeah, I, I think, think that says it, it all. Yeah, I think you want Andrew baked into a cake. <laughs> I see like that. I would like nudes. that too. If like, I were in prison, please send nudes. All right. Well, there it is. Uh, please send us your nudes to yanopodcast at gmail.com. Also, check out our website that's been revamped, yanopodcast.com. Merch. And also, our new merch over on. Over on Patreon, we asked uh, we asked our patrons <laughs> what slogan they wanted to see on our mug, and uh, they agreed on pink, puffy, and tight. Uh, a suggestion by tight. listener Heather. Um, I said I would shout her out in this episode. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. Thank you for listening. Drink and- out of a mug that says "pink, puffy, and tight," and don't answer any questions. Oh! <laughs>